Well, it's great to be together, and sometimes worship is so rich you just want to keep going. But we'll keep going in worship, looking into God's Word. Um, if you're new or kind of getting back into church, uh, the last three weeks or so we've been looking at this relationship status, kind of looking at the Bible and what, is the, what does the Scripture have to say about relationships and the statuses of relationships. And so, uh, real quick, I just invite you, if you missed any of those, like the very first week we looked at this idea of singlehood or single again. What does it look like to honor God in the midst of that season? And we even apologized and said, you know, for... For so long, I think the church has kind of given a bad rap to singles, and the reality is I I think Jesus loves you most, Um, and I I think he can leverage your life in great ways, and um, so don't ever feel like it's second uh, class or less than. I, I think the Apostle Paul would champion that status. We looked at this idea of dating last week, and how do you what do you pursue when you're dating, and how do you try to figure this out? We said, you know, the American culture, like dating, wasn't around back in the Bible times. It was arranged marriage, and as a dad of two, I thought that was cool. Um, but the idea of dating in our system and our structure, it's really an evaluation process. And so what are you evaluating? Well, you're evaluating the other person. What do you pursue after that? And we said, well, pursue character and chemistry. And we kind of said, here's what love does. And we said some things there. Just invite you, if you missed that, to, to catch back up on that. Let that be part of the dialogue and conversation. And as I was driving home last week, um, a couple people showed me uh, some wisdom that comes from John Christ, who's a Christian comedian. And I thought, you know, if for those of you who might be single or single again or might be in that dating scene or maybe you've given up on it, I thought he had some wisdom to share for a couple minutes. So uh, I guess Hannah will just watch that and, and we'll be blessed. Christian pickup lines. There are a million of them. I was reading through the book of Numbers and I realized I didn't have yours. Uh, Would you like prayer because I'd like to lay my hands on you? Wow, that's not even, you should call the cops if someone says that. Also, this is like totally a prop. There's nothing written on it. I just didn't want people to think that I committed that pickup line to my memory. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is Christian pickup lines, there is a ton of them, but think about it. When it comes to Christian breakup lines, We got nothing. All we can say is, well, I don't know, God told me to break up with you. Oh, really, Vanessa? God told you to break up with me two weeks before prom? Well, he could have told me that before I rented this tux. (laughs) I'm over it, clearly. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first and I believe only Christian breakup lines. Hey, do you know Kirk Cameron? Because you're about to be left behind. All things work together for good, but we ain't together and this ain't good. If I'm the Bible, you're the book of Thomas not included. Wait, hold on. Thomas, is that one of the books? No, it's not one of the books. That's the joke. Why are we breaking up? Call me Matt Redman because I got 10,000 reasons. Honestly, great song though. My body is a temple and you ain't a member. Hey, um, are you an alcoholic beverage? Because I can't be seen with you. For I know the plans and you ain't a part of them. I think it's in the message Bible. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and we ain't together anymore. I'm going to a different church. Bye. Don't use that one. Hey, uh, are you about to be wrongly accused? Because this is about to be our last supper. Hey, um, are you a river in Egypt? Because you in denial about this relationship. I just feel like Paul, you know, there's a constant thorn in my side. And I'm pretty sure it's you. Boom. Roasted. I was reading through the Booker numbers and I realized I hadn't blocked yours yet. Wow, really? I have decided to unfollow you on Instagram. Hey, you want to go on a date this weekend? I was thinking about getting a campfire going. Kumbaya, this ain't going to work anymore. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You see me clapping my hands? No, because I'm not happy. 
Hey, real quick, are you mercy me? Because I can only imagine being satisfied in this relationship. Hey, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Because you for sure got kicked out. Oh, snap. Can we FaceTime? Uh, call me Peter, because you about to be denied three times. Um, are you a short-term mission trip? Because you're doing more harm than good. Take that one out. That one's probably too far. Scratch this one. I once was blind, but I'm about to see myself out of this relationship. Goodbye. Hey, real quick, um, are you the book of Revelation? Because this story's about to be over. Some of you were laughing really hard. Uh, <laughs> you're like, you're probably writing that down. Um, so it's on YouTube. You can find it if you forgot you know, a word or so. But, um, you know, this whole idea of relationships can be complicated, can be fascinating, can be exhilarating and exhausting, can it? No matter what status you may find yourself in. And so maybe if you're here tonight and you're going, okay, I'm single or single again, or I'm in that dating scene, I'm trying to figure this out. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're married and, and looking at marriage. And that's what I want us to look at tonight is this idea of what does the scriptures have to say about marriage? Now, there is no way to, uh, to tackle all of that in one 30-minute message, okay? Um, but I, th- I hope tonight we're going to look at a couple different passages, Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5. I want to unpack those a little bit for you. And then uh, just maybe share from my heart just uh, six or seven different kind of tips or thoughts that I work with as I kind of help with uh, pre-marriage counseling with folks and just some things that I think are really scripturally based and founded that might be really helpful as marriage. Now, for some of you, um, you've been married longer than I've been alive. And uh, actually, that's, I'm old now. Um, so you've been married longer than me. I'm at 23 years, and uh, Amy is still training me, and it's awesome, and I'm trying to stay trainable. And uh, yes, dear, works really well. So just remember that. Um, But when it comes to marriage, there's some great wisdom that we have here in this room. There's some great wisdom that we have in literature. Uh, I want to recommend a book to you that if you're married or you're thinking about marriage, uh, this might be a great resource to go through together. It's called, um, as we look at this idea of what's marriage for, um, the book here, let's see, The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller and his wife Kathy. They've been married 36, 37 years now and wrote about what the scriptures have to say about marriage. And some of the thoughts we're going to look at tonight come from there. Um, but the reality is marriage is one of those interesting things in our culture today. Um, we'd have to be blind to, to see the reality of the target that marriage is at times, whether that's from the enemy trying to disrupt marriages and healthy marriages. That's what I really want to talk about is what's a healthy marriage, a healthy biblical marriage, and how the enemy loves to thwart that. And I'd be remiss to say I know there's some in here that, you know, the reality is you went down that road, and, and, and it didn't turn out the fairy tale, and it didn't go the way that you pictured, the way that you dreamt or, or even desired it to go. And, and I hope tonight is a freeing night and a healing night. Uh, that's what we've been praying for. Because no matter what status you're in, I think we serve a God who wants to heal people, wants to heal marriages, wants to heal relationships, wants to heal people where they're at, to lead them forward into what's next, into what's healthy and whole. Um, the Huffington Post posted an article about a year ago that said this is marriage an outdated tradition. It was interesting, the feedback, the author kind of portrays it as so and writes to that way. There's been other studies, even this one here in March of 16, who asked people to respond to the statement, marriage has not worked out for most people I know. And over a third of the people said yes. It hasn't worked out for most people I know. Researchers and writers and experts across our country are wondering, 
what's this deal with marriage? Is it, is it this out of tradition? Is this, this old thing that we need to let go in a culture that's so much about have it all and be about you? Do we need to get rid of this and just let it go to the ash heap of history? And, and there's people who want to debate and want to target and want to redefine in a lot of ways. And, and the truth is that the, the, designer, the designer makes the distinction. And when, if I design something, I, I give it a distinction. If I design a, a, a suit, it's a suit. It doesn't become your boat tarp. Um, and when you design something, you have a purpose for it. And, and God has a purpose for marriage. And really, that's what we begin to see even early on. But in our cultural context, it becomes challenging. Is marriage just something that is so idealistic that it, it can't be real? what is portrayed or what you aim for? Is it really about a selfless love or is it really about trying to help me meet my selfish needs and desires? And there's that tension that goes and and everyone wrestles with it. But God wants us to know what marriage is about. And when we look in the scriptures, we begin to see that this reality that God created marriage to be good. In fact, even before the whole fall of humanity, Back in Genesis chapter 2, we've talked about this before, it's the law of first reference. When something's first referenced, it's important to know what's going on. And so we have the creation story unfolding, right? God's creating and announcing this is good. God creating and announcing this is good. And then he gets to Genesis 2.18, and he sees Adam alone, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And helper is not a subservient term at all. In fact, it's literally in Hebrew. It's the picture of two gears that fit together, that need one another in order to turn and function and to be their best. And that's not to say, like we said the very first week, that doesn't mean that having a romantic relationship is the pinnacle of life. It's not. It's just not. Our world sells that, and it's not. It's not the truth. In fact, the most significant relationship is you and God. And that's the one he wants you to work on first and foremost. And other stuff is nice, and it's, it's awesome, but it's not the pinnacle. And so in this story, in the Genesis account, God's saying it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable, meaning it's not just me and God. We need to work on that relationship. We need to have that right. That's why Jesus came. But it's not just that. We were not created just to have a relationship with God. We were created to be in relationship one to another, this idea of relational connection, community. So community in a context, family in a context, relationship in a context. We are meant to have those ties. And so the Genesis account goes on and says, this is why a man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife, and the two will become one, speaking of this unity that God wants to create in marriage. And it's profound, and it's significant. And it's, in a lot of ways, threatened, pushed back against Uh, challenged in a lot of ways, but the truth is this is plan A. It's not that you have to be married, but you realize all of this takes place before the brokenness enters into humanity, before Genesis 3. So it it wasn't like this was a backup plan for God. It wasn't like this was, oh, I've got to figure things out. He initiated this. He designed this. And when you're a designer, you have a design and a purpose and a significance for something. And so we see in the scriptures that God created marriage to be good. And in our 21st century context, we have to come to wrestle with this idea of giving it back to the designer. Of saying, God, you're the one that created this. You're the one that put this together for a reason. And so much, I think, of what... um, 
the scriptures point to is this idea for marriage to help challenge us. Marriage may not be about you. What? It may not be about you. So much of our world and so much of our culture is all about us, and we want it to be about us. Marriage may actually be about helping you be something more than what you could even be on your own. And that's what Timothy Keller is kind of getting into, this idea of, uh, he writes these thoughts. Um, He argues that marriage introduces you to yourself, and you realize you're not as noble or easy to live with as you thought when you were young and when you were alone. That marriage has a way of of sharpening and challenging and, and helping you be something more than what you could be even on your own. It's this idea of I'll make a helper suitable, this counterpart that will help speak into my life, and that's the challenge. And so you fast forward from Genesis chapter 2 to this next passage that a lot of people go to in Ephesians chapter 5, and they're speaking about, okay, what does marriage look like, and and how do you begin to get your arms around marriage, and what does that even begin to express itself in, and how do you understand what a healthy marriage looks like? I have people ask that question. What does it look like? How How do you do this? How do you figure it out? How do you know that you want to be married? How do you get to this idea of making this choice? And I would say, yeah. It's not easy. It's not A, B, C, D. It's not a simple step. It's not a formula. That's what we looked at last week, that relationships are not a formula per se. But in Ephesians chapter 5, let's just kind of look at some of these things. And I know for some of this, uh, for some of you who have been in church or maybe heard this passage in a certain context, it may ruffle your feathers. But I want to put it in correct context because I think it's been used out of context a lot of times and done a lot of damage unnecessarily. But just so let's just start at the very first verse of Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 5 toward the end is going to talk about marriage, but this is how it all starts, right? First one, imitate God. Okay, well, that's a big task. Uh, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with what? Love. Live a life filled with love. Now, Paul's going to go on and explain how this begins to impact relationships. And toward the tail end of Ephesians 5, he's going to get into this context of marriage. Uh, man and wife, okay, this husband and wife, and how does this look, and how do you begin to wrestle with this? And so here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, submit to one another's as unto Christ. That's the key verse, because most people start with verse 22, and they miss, and they put this whole next statement out of context. So some people, you maybe even heard preachers say, wives, Submit. Submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. And people will use that verse and say, see, the man's in charge. And I would look and go, well, you didn't read the verse before that. And you totally missed this and messed everything up. And now you're a jerk. Um, Because submit one another out of reverence of Christ. That's the key in this whole context as we get into this idea of husband and wife. Submit to one another, meaning Jesus is the leader of your home. You both say submitted unto him. Now, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. It's fascinating, this idea of submission, because people want to take that word and twist it to be something. Submission is not subjugation. Submission is not subservient or second class or less than. In fact, in the New Testament, the only power that brings submission to someone else is God's power alone, period. 
So this is not this idea of submission. Uh, in essence, it's, it's spoken from this tense uh, of this word that's, that's speaking to this idea that you would choose to self-submit, meaning it's not someone else making you submit. It's this inner decision of your own heart to take this posture, to say, I want you to be everything you need to be. And I'm willing to lead and I'm willing to follow. It's this context of saying this is what servant leadership is to look like. A woman is not to submit, i.e., sit quietly in a corner, never give her opinion, never share her thought, or can never contribute ideas. This would just, you know, wait around for the guy to come up with the idea. That is not a biblical marriage at all. And if anyone has ever said that that's the way it should be, they are a liar. It's not true. So what the scriptures are saying to this idea, this is not the case. Go read Proverbs 31 about an honorable woman, about an honorable wife and what she's doing. She's running her own business. She's taking care of the family. She's moving and she's doing a lot of things. So this is not this idea of submission to the point of I'm less than. This is the idea of saying I want to be in a relationship as we're both under Christ that as a wife, I would be at that place, or you would be at that place to say, hey, I want my husband to lead. Now, Ben Stewart, I recommended the book Single, um, Single Date and Engaged Married. He wrote that book that came out this year. Uh, I encourage you to read that if you're interested in it. And in there, he tells the story of how he's at Breakaway Ministries, and he's in this giant stadium uh, at Texas A&M with thousands of college students there, and he asks the women in the audience, he says, what would you like? If, if a guy asked you out on a date and he showed up and he got in the car and he said, what do you want to do? Or if the guy actually showed up, took you on a date, got in the car and said to you, hey, I've been putting a lot of thought into this. So there's this Mexican restaurant that's got this sweet little patio out here that I think would be really awesome. Or there's this Italian restaurant that's a kind of a mom and pop place and I've been there before and I think it's really cool. I'm not sure what you're in the mood for, but which one would you like to go to? Ladies? Which one would you prefer? The second one, right? I've never heard a woman say, two options, that's oppressive. You try to break me? Every woman I know is like, that person's showing initiative. Like they're showing interest. They've put thought into this. They didn't just show up and like, spray on cologne and say, okay, let's go. Right? It's this idea of leadership. And see, that's the point of this. Everyone knows that good leadership is not subjugation of someone. Good leadership means I'm leading, you're right there with me, and we're doing this together. So that's what we go about. Rather, it feels like this freedom that we're given, that our talents and our abilities and our contributions matter, and they contribute to the whole because we're both submitted unto Christ. What's fascinating in Ephesians chapter 5 is in the Greek language, which is the original language, there's 41 words dedicated to the wife, okay? There's 116 to the men. So men, buckle up, ready? Because here's what it's saying. To the, to the husbands, this is what you're to do. In fact, it starts off in verse 25, you're to love your wife, period. You know what's fascinating? Is it never tells the wife to love the husband. What? And I share this sometimes in weddings. Here's what I've come to find out to be true. You show me a man who loves his wife, like Jesus loves the church and what's described here in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll show you a wife who has absolutely no problem loving her husband. 
Absolutely no problem. But you show me the opposite. A man who is self-seeking, his own self-interest, only concerned with himself, and I'll show you a wife who may struggle to love her husband. And so right off the bat, Paul said, husbands, you're to love your wife more than anyone else on the planet. She comes first. You're to love her. And not this love like this eros kind of love that's passionate. Yes, you want that to be there in marriage. And not this storehe kind of love that's familial and, and, and communal type of love. Yes, you want to be friends and, and be that. It's not this phileo kind of love that is like this brotherly love. We're in this together type thing. Yes, you want that camaraderie. But you're to agape your wife. Agape is the godlike love. It's this unconditional kind of love. It's this love that says, I'm with you. I'm binding a covenant to you. It's the kind of love that God has for his people. It's the kind of love Jesus has for you. And I commit that through the thick and thin, the ups and downs, I'm here. See, passions can rise and fall, but agape love says, I'm not stopping. I'm choosing. Love, friends, is a choice. It is not just a feeling. And in our culture, it's promoted the other way around. Love is a decision. And that's what Paul's writing. He said this verb to, to love, to agape love, is a present tense verb, meaning it always keeps going. It suggests this continuous action. It never stops. It never quits. So how do you get your arms around that? Well, Paul goes on. He keeps explaining. He says, look, you're to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. What we think of often, and even studying this week, was thinking, what we think is, okay, Jesus loves the church. It's kind of this ongoing love that he just has this passion for the church. But that's not what Paul is saying. That's certainly there. But what he's really pointing back to is one instance in time. In fact, when the Greek word here for gave himself up, we only have, uh, in Greek, it's one word, but in our language, in English, it's three words. Gave himself up. In Greek word, it's literally Jesus hanging on the cross where he gave up everything for the church, for you, for me. And in that instance, that's the example as a husband I'm to look to, to say, do I love my wife like that? I gave up everything for her, everything. And I'm going to love her with that kind of devotion. So gentlemen, if you want to know what does it mean to love your wife, well, look at Jesus. Because the bride, the church, is described as the bride in the scriptures over and over. Ladies, I promise you, it will be easy to follow a man who takes his cues from Jesus. It just is. Marriage is a mutual commitment to lay down your life for the other person. It's a choice, it's a decision. It's ruled and it has emotions, but it's not ruled by emotions. It's a decision. What matters in marriage is probably the most terrifying and exciting thing at the same time, because it's scary to trust someone, right? It's scary to trust someone, right? Yeah. And in marriage, what you're saying is, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up my will, because I'm submitted one unto Christ, and I want you to be the best version of you that you could ever be in Jesus, and so I'm going to submit and pledge my life to you. It's not a cell phone contract. It's not I do my 50% and you do your 50%, and if we both work that, then it's good. No, this is a 100% commitment. 
I'm all in. And that's why it's scary. But that's why it's also freeing. When you begin to live with this, and those of you who've been married for 20 plus years, you could probably look at your spouse and go, yeah, best decision I ever made. And that's what you want. That's what I want for every married couple, to be able to wake up 30, 40, 50 years and be able to look back at each other's eye and say, best decision outside of Jesus I ever made. That's the kind of person you want to marry. Uh, We tell uh, couples that we counsel all the time, a healthy marriage does not come fully assembled. It takes a lot of work. How much? A lot. How much? A lot, a lot. It takes a lot of work. It doesn't come fully assembled. Marriage is a team. It's a partnership. It's a union. Your marriage will only be as strong as your mutual commitment to Christ and to the vision you have for your marriage to make one another better. Remember the very first week we said, hey, you're running after this undivided devotion for Jesus. That's singlehood. And you're running after him. And maybe so often you'll be able to look up and you're going to see someone else running alongside and say, oh, wow, they're cute. Um, And you're going to run a little closer, right? And when you get to that place of marriage, maybe you're not running, you're walking now because it's a little bit older, but um, you're walking in undivided devotion to Jesus, but you're getting to walk with your best friend and that's what you want to champion one another. And it's important and it takes work, it takes effort. So let me just kind of close with these uh, few things um, that Amy and I, when we meet with couples, we'll, we'll point to some of these things. And maybe this is some stuff that will hit you. Maybe you've been married for a while, and, and one of these will be like, yeah, we need to work on that and some more, because this is always something you can work on, and it's always something you can get better at. The first one is this. Be each other's biggest cheerleaders and comfort champions in life. Romans twelve fifteen I think, is one of the most practical verses in the Bible. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Make it a practice in your marriage and in your relationships, in your friendships, wherever status you're in, to rejoice with people who are rejoicing, to celebrate with them, and to mourn with those who mourn. Mourning is not coming alongside and giving a coach speech where you're like, okay, buck up, and here's the five things you need to go do. No, mourning with someone is just coming and sitting on the curb with them and say, that really stinks. Would you just tell me about it? And to be each other's biggest comfort champions in life as well as one another's biggest cheerleaders in life. No one should out-cheer your spouse more than you. No one should out-comfort your spouse more than you. That's the call of marriage. Uh, second one is this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Be quick to listen. My mama always said, God gave you how many ears? How many mouths? Wow. How many years? How many mouths? One. Make sure you've got that in the right order. That's what she'd say. Be quick to listen. That's what the scripture's saying. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Anger is an issue in our culture, isn't it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Anger's an issue in us, isn't it? And so in that context, it's, hey, we need to make sure we're pumping the brakes on this because the reality is sometimes we just mishear each other. Uh, Let forgiveness flow freely. You both need it, often. Give grace to each other. Don't become easily offended or hold grudges. Ephesians 4 says, Indeed, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let forgiveness flow often. Seek it. Fourth one, grow a Jesus love in your marriage. 
Grow at Jesus' love. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love chapter. It says, here's what love is. Here's what Jesus' agape love is for you. And that's the kind of love he wants to build and uh, propel in kind of your marriage and build up in your relationship. Uh, fifth one, outserve one another. I've never seen a healthy marriage when they are committed to serving one another that can't make it through any struggle that comes their way. It's Philippians chapter one, or chapter two, verse one through five. We looked at the very first week. Outserve one another. Don't think about your own interests, but also the interests of others. Value others above yourself. Put your spouse in front of you. And as you both do that, you both win. Sixth one is ongoing intentional investments. Make it a practice. You dated for a reason, don't stop. Marriages get in trouble when they stop dating one another. You shouldn't be dating anyone else. That goes without saying. Make it a continual practice to invest in your marriage. Have some date nights, maybe a weekend away once a year. Read some books together. Go to some conferences. Serve God together and invest in your kingdom. Do it side by side. As you make those investments, good things happen. Roger, an uh, old mentor of mine, said this. You show me a guy who nickels and dimes his wife, and I'll show you a guy who has easy time walking away when trouble comes because he's got very little invested but you show me a man who invests $100 bills into his wife figuratively, and maybe reality, and I'll show you a guy who has a hard time walking away because he's got so much invested. It's this idea of being intentional about the investments. The last one is this. Every healthy marriage needs good coaches. Remember Exxon Valdez, the oil tanker in 1989 that spilled and broke um, off the Prince William Sound in Alaska? Spilled over 10 million gallons of oil, 11,000 square miles, over 1,300 miles of coastline messed up because this one giant tanker couldn't make its way through Prince William Sound. You know how they solved the problem henceforth? They had a tugboat come out and meet all the new, um, uh, all the new big boats that are coming in with the oil, the tankers that are coming in, and that tugboat is with an experienced um, tugboat driver who comes out and takes the ship through the Prince William Sound every single time and they haven't had an incident. You don't have to be, you don't have to be smart to be wise. It's wise for us to find other people who have done this and done it well. It's smart to look forward. We do that in sports and we look for people who are further ahead of us and we train after them and we look for that and we get coached by them. We should do the same thing in our marriages. That we look for people ahead of us to help us. There's plenty of danger out there. But what would it look like to, to say, hey, I'm going to intentionally tether myself to another couple that's further ahead than where we are and I want to have them speak wisdom and life into me and I want to glean from that because I want to invest in our marriage. See, truly healthy relationship is two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. It's two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other because they've submitted themselves unto Christ and they're pursuing life together. Now, I know the reality is that that's not the ideal picture for everybody in this room. Not the ideal picture necessarily for what you even dream or want or friends that you know. And I'm sorry. I wish it was different. For some of you, this is like the sweet spot, and you're like, man, it's awesome. For others of you, you're broken. And you're actually, actually back into that single again status. 
because it didn't phase out or work out or, or go. And it just, the reality is it takes two to tango. I know that. But the truth is, if we're going to honor God in our relationship status, whether we're single, single again, dating, or married, we have to wrestle with this with him. And so here's what I want to do tonight in close. We're going to move to a, a time of communion. We've got communion stations in the back here and down front, uh, gluten-free crackers if you want that. I put all, this, uh, all these things in the sermon notes. If you open the app and scroll down, you can find more on there. But I just want to pray a blessing over our relationships. And here's the challenge for you. Whether you're here, single, single again, whether you're dating, whether you're married, I'm going to invite you while I'm praying. We're not going to be looking around. If you are here and you're saying, God, I want you to be the center of my relationships. I want to be, I want to be wise at whatever status I'm in. And I want to bring my best to you. And, and tonight I'm kind of rededicating to say I want to pursue relationships in a healthy way. I'm just going to invite you to stand right where you're at when we pray and as we pray. And then as I finish, we're going to go into communion and we're going to sing a final song here together. But that's kind of what's coming. And I just want to give you a space and an opportunity, wherever you are, whether you're single, single again, dating, or married, for you to make, maybe make a choice tonight to say, God, I want to choose to live a wise best, healthy possible way I can in the status I'm in, whether that's with my spouse, whether the person I'm dating, or whether I'm just, the person's not here yet, and, but I want to be ready, and I want to be right, because this is about intentionally working on you. And so, Jesus, that's what we're going to pray for tonight. Um, as we just take a time to, to kind of dedicate, we've been really looking at these idea of relationships. And so, Father, for some here, they're single. And that's where the stage of life is right now. And that's great. And you can do so much in us and through us and that. I pray that you would give them an undivided devotion for you. And as maybe they stand even here, they would say, God, tonight I'm choosing that I want to have an undivided devotion to you. I want to work on being the best version of me as you're changing me. I want to <clears throat> work on being the best for the person down the road that you may be preparing for me. Father, for those that are dating here tonight, I pray that they would seek to, to bring commitment before intimacy, that they would seek to say, I want character and chemistry to, to drive our relationship. And wherever it's gonna end up going, we just wanna choose even now together to say, God, we want what's best for us because we want what you want. And we know you got good stuff for us and you got good plans for us, and it may be together, and it may not be, but you've got best for this person standing next to me, and you got best for me, and that's what we want to see. And for, Father, for those that are married here tonight, it's so easy in our culture to, to, to kind of have marriage berated in a little bit, and even tackled and, and, and tormented in some ways, and we want to be a marriage that's healthy and whole, because the reality is our marriage, the way I love my spouse, puts on display for a watching world to see the way you love your church. And in so much of our culture that's been smeared. But God, we want people to know that your love is an agape kind of love. It's an unconditional kind of love. It's a love that never quits and it never stops. And it keeps following and keeps chasing. And in all kinds of ways, we want our marriages to be healthy and whole. And so Father, all statuses of where we are. We ask that you would intervene. Jesus, would you intervene in the lives of those gathered here, those who hear this online? Would you intervene in their relationship right where they're at, right what they need? And we ask for your activity to be loosed 
in mighty and powerful ways through your Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. And Father, as we take communion, we remember that every week we do this as a remembrance of your love, the kind of love, this agape love, that gives up everything. And so we submit ourselves again to you, pledge our lives to you as we worship you in song. We just want to return our heart's affection to you in these next minutes.